Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So I don't know if, have any of you ever completed like community organizer trainings or done any like kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you know how, <laughs> hello. Um, so you know how um, in community organizing, like one of the main things that we talk about is self-interest. Self-interest. And so let's, let's just break this down if you haven't done this. So self-interest is not being selfish and it's not being selfless. It's being self-interest. So selfish means... I want everything for myself and um, I'm being egocentric, that's selfish. And then selfless is like, I'm just a doormat and people can walk all over me and I'll just do whatever, right? That's selfless. We're trying to avoid both of these and instead identify what's called self-interest, which is like, what is the thing that you're passionate about? What is the thing that is like, Um, you were put on this world to engage around. Like self-interest is is such an important theme in community organizing because sometimes community organizing can get really hard. And if we're not organizing around issues that are aligned with the self-interest, then people can burn out really fast. But if you organize with self-interest, that's how things change. I was talking to one of the... um, clergy organizers for the marriage campaign. Do you remember like a jillion years ago when uh, Minnesota successfully, it was like five years, six, eight, eight years ago, nine years ago. It felt like a million years ago. Um, uh, So in the before times, there was this whole thing where there was a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. And then we organized and successfully overturned that and then later uh, approved and um, accepted gay marriage, yay. And so that was kind of a community organizer win. And I was talking this week to one of the organizers from that group, and he said, there were people, uh, there was a core group of people who were either queer themselves or loved a queer person so much that they were willing to put in a lot of effort because they knew that they would be worse off if they didn't. You know, like that's the kind of the whole idea with self-interest. And so one of the questions that we ask with self-interest is what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And uh, if you can't identify that, then you haven't identified some of your self-interest and you are forfeiting your power for social change. And so identifying what breaks your heart in a precise way, not just in a general, oh, I wish things were more fair, but in a, in a very specific way, if you can identify that, then you're starting to unlock some of the power that God gave you to change the world. So we ask people, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And if we were to go to the Bible and ask Nehemiah, what breaks your heart? Then all we would need to do is read chapter one to discover it. Because we hear... Nehemiah say, I mourned for days. I've mourned for days when I heard that there was no wall around Jerusalem. And uh, for those of us who are reading thousands of years after this text was written in a totally different context, it might be like, I don't really get it. I'm generally opposing walls in my current society more than trying to build walls. Like, what's going on? And, uh, and we see why this is part of Nehemiah's self-interest in chapter 2. Because Nehemiah, who uh, works for the king, uh, had this conversation with the king. And the king asked, why do you seem sad? Since you aren't sick, you must have a broken heart. Which, 
is kind of an amazing line in the, in the first instance. But uh, we're just going to skate right by that. So you're not sick, therefore you have a broken heart, and that's the only reason why you can be sad. And uh, Nehemiah says, I was very afraid and replied, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves, is in ruins and its gates destroyed by fire? Yeah, so we're starting to see Nehemiah's self-interest because the place of his family's graves was destroyed by fire. His ancestral land was destroyed by fire. This place of so many memories, significance, this place that holds the promise of how God will show up in their lives was burned by fire. And Nehemiah wasn't even there to be able to grieve that. So hearing this over distance, that fire is what um, caused Nehemiah to mourn for days. So we're starting to identify some self-interest. And I guess the question for you is, what if destroyed, would you change the course of your life to recover? What if destroyed, would you change the course of your life to discover? This is what our spiritual ancestor Nehemiah has to teach us. Because Nehemiah, after hearing about this fire, spoiler alert, changes his whole life to go to Jerusalem to organize people to rebuild this wall. He was so bereaved by the loss of this wall that he's now willing to change the course of his career, personal relationship, finance, and living situation in order to rebuild it. So what in your life, if destroyed, would be so incenting for you that you would decide to change the course of your life. That's how you discover your self-interest. Um, you know, in the news, I was reading about how ca the Canadian wildfires have hit indigenous communities hard, threatening their land and culture. Um, uh, for those of you who are joining us from other states or other countries around the world in our live stream, hello again. Um, Minnesota has been, I don't know, how many days of the week are we like filled with Canadian wildfire? It feels like it's like four days out of the week. It's like so much smoke is in the air that it burns your nostrils in Minnesota from Canadian wildfires. And so we're like feeling this very viscerally right now. And, um, you know, we, at least for me, like when I was reading the news about it, they were talking about Trudeau's response. They were talking about the government and how they were putting out fires. But I, it's not until I dug a little bit more that I learned about the impact that this has had on indigenous people. Because uh, these lands that are burning oftentimes are displacing the indigenous people of Canada and are like uh, uh, disproportionately impacting the indigenous populations because the indigenous populations are uh, closer to the forests and are, are, their housing is closer to the forests because their economy and their rituals have uh, rely more on the forest and because uh, uh, these wildfires are like... Um, Okay, so here's some tea. So, uh, so, the, so for the cut to like the past several decades, the indigenous people were like, "Hey, we have a ritual practice where we burn forests. We like intentionally burn forests in a controlled burn kind of way." And the government was like, "No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that." And they're like, "I don't know. We've been taking care of this land for." thousands of years, like, I kind of feel like this would be a good idea. And they're like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And now these wildfires are happening and the government can't put it out. And they're like, huh. Rituals would have prevented this, right? And so, like, there, we're seeing how in many various different ways the, um, 
the wisdom of indigenous people would have uh, changed our situation. Indigenous member of, from Alberta in parliament have a little quote. This is Blake De, uh, Desjardins. He says he whom pronouns uh, uh, Representative Desjardins is the first openly two-spirit person elected to the House of Commons as well. Bless the Lord. And so uh, this is uh, what, what his testimony said. I spoke to the East Prairie survivors. I was there the day the evacuation order was lifted, and they took me into their community. What I witnessed was truly devastating. I went with families, and it was an amazing moment for some in them. Uh, they saw their house, for some of them, they saw their houses standing. They even saw their dogs covered in ash, but still protecting their land. They were holding their ground as if it were their last stand. They did it as they waited for their humans to come home. That is the kind of love that animals have, the power to demonstrate, and it's one that humans often hold back on. It is one I hope we never relent. Wow. And so the reason why I bring this up is because, like, the indigenous people in Canada have more in common with Nehemiah than many of the people in this room with Nehemiah. Whether or not they're practicing Christians, their lived experience is uh, giving them empathy to the biblical character of Nehemiah, who is seeing their homelands burned and saying, like, there is something lost there. It's, it, this isn't just like, oops, my home burned and now the government can build me a house somewhere else. They are, they're tied to the land. They're tied to a place where th things can only happen because it's done a certain awareness of that and I guess it's the it, it comes back to the question of like what are the fires that keep you awake what are the fires that are happening that are like that deeply impact you because if you pull on that hard enough eventually you will find what God is putting in front of you to work on you know I don't really like the language of self-interest hashtag love your community organizers but I don't really love that language because I prefer calling I prefer, I prefer saying, like, like, this is your calling from God. The, like, God gave you the things that you need to be passionate, to be able to change the world in a very specific way. You can't fix everything because you're not Jesus, but you can put your hand to the pl I mean, are any of you Jesus? Because you should let me know. New City is hiring if any of you are Jesus. So, um, so... <laughs> the, <laughs> But you got a calling in your life. God put something in your life to pay attention to, to restore, to rebuild, to heal. God put something in your life that matters because if you don't attend to it, then other people can't for you. God put a calling in your life. And I just want to name that there is like a real danger to not listening to a calling. There is a real danger in, in God knocking on the door of your heart and you saying like, no, I'm not going to deal with that. It's too scary, too expensive, too risky, too uncomfortable. Because an unheeded call puts your soul on mute. If you, if you are not listening to the call of God in your life, then you shut down a part of yourself that is required to be abundantly alive. You shut down, if you shut down your soul, if you put your soul on mute, then the rest of your life is going to suffer because of it. This is what we learn from community organizers, that like, 
it's, it's more uncomfortable or more painful to not live into your calling than it is to be. Nehemiah had to uproot his entire life. He had to like abandon the semblance of community that he had in this exile in order to, to change things and, and go and rebuild this wall. And like what we're learning from Nehemiah and what you can apply in your life today is that there are some things that are worth sacrificing for. There are some things that are worth being uncomfortable for. You know, we're, um, we're running this, uh, there are two parallel kind of programs happening, Embodied Anti-Racism and, uh, and then the Incarnation Fund and a BIPOC contemplation class. And um, part of the whole idea with Embodied Anti-Racism is we're organizing the white folks in our community to recognize that it is more uncomfortable to not address white supremacy than it is to start looking at how white supremacy plays a role in your life. That we're all like, our collective survival depends on us, all of us confronting racism. And that is worse than dealing with some uncomfortable things in your own life. Like that is when we start recognizing our calling. And similarly for the BIPOC programming, we're like, gosh, there's a lot of healing to do. And gosh, it is uncomfortable and like bringing up all sorts of things. And I thought I kind of clamped down a lot of this. I thought I like sealed the sewer of all of these life experiences. And now like... You're saying that I have to go back, loop back and heal that before I can follow my call. Like, yeah, it is intensely uncomfortable, but it is more uncomfortable to not do the work of healing than it is to do the work of healing. That's the faith that we're walking on. And that's what Nehemiah shows us, that there are certain fires that we have to address. And, uh, you know, if, if for those of you who are new to Christianity or new to the church, I know it might be like, okay, when you say calling, like, I've never had this, like, angel in the sky moment where it's, like, written down, like, exactly what I'm supposed to do. So what are you even talking about with calling? And I just want to name, like, throughout the Bible, there are many ways that God has called us, and some of them are more obvious than others. So we learn from Ruth that sometimes God calls us through relationships. And it's just like, I'm going to stick with certain people. I don't know what that means. I'm just called for that. Sometimes like Samuel, we're uh, called through mentorship. Like someone speaking something into your life. Like, hey, if God calls, then say, here I am, Lord. That's what Samuel uh, was mentored to do. Um, sometimes we're mentored through tragedy. Like we hear um, with Simon Peter on the beach after Jesus died, and he was like, all sorts of ways and feeling a lot of hardship and Jesus reappears and it's like hey you processing your tragedy is going to lead to how you can bless the world uh, sometimes God calls us through desperation like Hagar let's remember that Hagar was a single mom in the desert with no food or water and she cried out to God and God responded and that's how Hagar found her calling and you know so like sometimes surviving is enough to find your calling. Like sometimes survival is there. Uh, sometimes God calls us through silence. Elijah, cut to Elijah in a cave, hearing the sound of silence, and God's like, I have something I want you to do. And it's like, okay. So like, you know, there's a little bit of listening required, right? Um, uh, sometimes God calls us through our mistakes. Okay? Like Paul was like, oops, I'm on the wrong side of history. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm reinforcing the death penalty for a carceral state, and Jesus is calling me to change that, and I'm recognizing that, like, if 
um, even though it'll, it'll require sacrificing a lot of my privilege, I'm going to change in order to follow Jesus. Like, Saul became Paul and then like wrote a lot of the Bible. So like, we're, we're grateful for that change. We're grateful for the mistake. And sometimes God does call you by name. You know, I'm, I'm just woo-woo enough that I believe that sometimes you are going to be praying, sometimes you're going to be reading through scripture, and God is going to be like, hey, I'm going to let you know by name what you are supposed to do. Like, I, I really, uh, I thoroughly believe in science, I thoroughly believe in empirical thought, and I also, like, have enough room and have had enough experiences where, like, sometimes stuff happens that's, like, stuff happening. Like, there was a, uh, there was a, you know what I mean? Like, um, I know, I, uh, there was a, um, a woman in the community who was like, one time I was praying and then a phone number appeared in my head and I ignored it and I slept and then I woke up and I prayed and the phone number appeared again and I don't know that phone number. So I just called that phone number and the person who picked it up was like, hello? And, and then she kind of explained like, I don't know why I'm calling, but this is just happening. Like, I hope you're doing well. And he said, um, I, uh, I was going to harm myself today, and this call is saving my life. And uh, <laughs> she's like, okay, I should probably call the first time, <laughs> and then when next time God calls, you know, like, I don't, like, I just have enough of a buffer around my belief system that, like, I think that that sometimes does happen. Um, and I think that a lot of like pre-industrial cultures account for that in ways that modern West. Okay, yeah, I'm getting onto. I'll stop preaching. But uh, the, 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 <laughs> so like, um, so this is how you receive your calling in your life, and and how you respond to your calling determines how abundantly you can live into the future that God has planned for you. Uh, uh, and uh, I, again, resorting back to indigenous wisdom, I want to encourage you to use a high-tech response to restore your calling, a high-tech response. I learned about this researching for the sermon. Tech is uh, apparently an acronym, traditional ecological knowledge, that some folks in uh, uh, forestry use to refer to practices that were passed on by indigenous folks but not passed through like Western scientific traditions. So, um, so I looked up these tech practices for how to recover from a fire, and I think that we can learn on how to respond to our calling using a high-tech uh, response. So first of all, study the scars. Um, uh, so there's uh, some indigenous folks in um, Leech Lake in northern Minnesota who are partnering with the University of Minnesota to study the scars of wildfire that happened last year to understand how to wisely move forward. So some of your work spiritually and in community, I should say, is to study where the wildfire lines of your life have appeared and to start to learn from the knowledge and wisdom that God is giving you through that. Unlike everything that our society is built to do, uh, like ignoring the pain, trying to shut it away, uh, don't acknowledge the hard stuff, Jesus is asking you to study the scars, uh, to study where the wildfire has happened in your life. Um, second uh, high-tech solution is to plant diversely. So uh, the, a lot of the indigenous folks are advocating for like, we need more types of plants because if we only type, 
if we only plant one type of tree and then that tree is susceptible to a certain disease or wildfire, then we're done. So we just need more types of things in our life to allow for there to be wisdom in our life. And what that means for you is like, you might need to have multiple voices of wisdom in your life as you are discerning your call. So like sometimes it's like, okay, well, I have my Facebook echo chamber or my TikTok echo chamber. I'm trying to be relevant. Uh, my TikTok <laughs> echo chamber. And I have my like mom, I text, I guess, and like a couple friends, my roommate that I'm having a fight with. But you're, you're not planting enough diverse wisdom in your life to be able to like really discern what, what moving forward looks like. And so this fall, when we're launching small groups, maybe a consideration for you is to increase the diverse wisdom voices that are in your life so that when something hard happens, you can know that you can respond. And lastly, learn that fire is medicine. The fire uh, for indigenous folks, for uh, the folks who were um, in Canada saying that we needed to do some controlled burning, for the folks in um, uh, uh, working with the University of Minnesota in this article, like they say fire is key for unlocking seeds in your life. Fire is key for certain types of biodiversity. We need to have fire in our life. Otherwise, we'll never be freed by just kind of the weight of all of the underbrush. Do you hear what I'm saying? The indigenous folks, the line that they said is, we can either have fire by choice or fire by chance. And fire by choice is going to go a lot better. So like we sometimes need to intentionally lean into the hard parts of our life, lean into the things that are like so scary or intimidating because we want to choose the fire instead of let it burn us by chance. This is how we use high tech to answer our calling. And so I just want to uh, uh, close this with a little bit of prayer. If you wouldn't mind uh, planting your feet on the ground, if that uh, feels comfortable for you and getting in a posture that allows you to breathe really well. Um, if you want to close your eyes, I should say, like, just listen to the, your, the intuition of your body and assume the position of prayer that is right for this moment. So that might be folding hands, open hands, standing, sitting, whatever you got to do. Uh, and I just want to, uh, if you're comfortable praying with me, offer uh, a call to God. Holy Spirit, uh, speak to the lives of each of the people in this room. Speak to the lives of every person on this live stream. God, may the self-interest know the calling of our life be clear, God. Help us to discover the power that you have put in our life to change things that are unacceptable. God, bless us with community, bless us with wisdom, bless us with high-tech strategies to be able to address this so that we know that we are never alone, but your spirit is with us. Bless us, O oh God. Together we say, amen.